0: You are listening to the 12 Stone Podcast. For more information on our eight locations or service times, please visit 12stone.com. Now enjoy Pastor Sean Myers as he delivers What Is That in Your Hand? Well, welcome to 12 Stone here and across all of our campuses in online for this 4th of July weekend. Now, if my history class was... A little bit more like that, I probably wouldn't have had to take it twice. Uh, that is just great stuff, isn't it? But man, we have to say right up top, uh, off the front end, that man, we live in a great country, but we may not live in a perfect country, right? It's a great country. We can celebrate that. We can celebrate that. Great country. But but it isn't a perfect country. In, in, While we're here, it would serve us well to remember, while it's not a perfect country that we live in, we serve a perfect God. We serve a perfect God. And man, we should celebrate just as much that maybe our country isn't united in the same ideals and opinions, but here as a church at 12 Stone, we are united in Christ. That's what unites us. So church, we got to celebrate. We've got a Lord and Savior that brings us together no matter what. And that is what unites us. That's what we're going to go after here today. So you ready to get started? Ready to jump in? Man, I'll tell you what. I've been studying this summer, walking through God's word, and just wrestling it down. And I came to a point of scripture where there was a question that came up that I just could not read past. God kept messing with me with this question And it's it's in a moment when God is calling Moses uh, to go lead the Israelite nation out of Egypt. You would probably know this moment as the burning bush moment. What happens is Moses walks up to this burning bush that's burning but not consumed, and God begins to speak to him through it, and God asks uh, Moses a question, a question that captivated me. And God calls him, go save the Israelite nation. And after God gives him this calling, it's after God puts it on Moses and asks him to go do this, that Moses goes back to God and says this, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? See, Moses is going, wait, you're telling me to go do all of this stuff in my life. You've called me to go do it. But what if they don't believe me? Look at God's response. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? In that moment, Moses must have been like, no, 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 God, 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 stay right here. He got ADD. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't actually believe I've been with you that a bush was burning? Believe it or not, they might not believe this. What, What if they don't believe it? Stay focused. God looks at him and says, no, what is that in your hand? Moses says, a staff. He replied, The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Now, now in this moment, it's already weird enough, right? Just a burning bush, talking to him. He's like, Oh man, what is going on? And then all of a sudden, what's in your hands? Like, all right, it's staff. And then God says, Throw it on the ground. Moses has got to be thinking to himself, It can't get any weirder. All right, well, why not? Let's see. And so Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. And he ran from it. If you've ever thought scripture was unclear, this should be a very clear, uh, this makes sense to us, right? Snake, run, done, get it, I, that's, I'm in. Moses is just a guy like us and runs away. But then, but then look what happens. God comes back to him and he says this. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This said the Lord is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So so in other words, Moses walks up, gets this calling on his life to go do something for the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. He says, man, what if they don't believe me? And God asks them the simple question right here. He says, what is that in your hand. So why did this question captivate me so much? Why did it just get my attention? I couldn't move past it, and here's why. Because God didn't ask Moses to go get something new. God didn't give Moses a new personality or a new character trait to help him in the journey. In fact, Moses actually protested. He said, listen, I have a stutter. I'm not eloquent in speaking. I'm not your guy. God didn't give him something new. God didn't require him to do something new. God didn't even go all Tony Robbins on him and go, yeah, you can do it. Yeah, go, go get it. No, no, that's not what God did. God simply asked the question, what is that in your hand? And here's my point, as I wrestled this down with God, I just felt him whisper to me in my time with him, Sean, you already have everything you need in your hands. Maybe in your life, you have moments where you feel inadequate. Maybe you feel unqualified. Unqualified. Maybe God's asked you to do something in your life, in your career, or in your family to lead courageously for Him. And your response is just like Moses. You look back at him and you go, Me? What if they don't listen? Me? And God is pressing in and He's saying, Listen, what's in your hand? See, I think the disposition of God in this moment was this Moses comes back, What if they don't believe me? And God's like, oh. What's in your hand? most, a staff. God's like, that'll do. That'll do. That's fine. See, I think that's how God wants to talk to us today when we feel inadequate. Here's the thought that I have for us today. What if this is true? You already have everything you need to make an impact for Jesus. See, you already have everything you need in your hand to have an impact for Jesus in the world around you. Moses questioned himself and says, what if I'm not enough? What if they don't believe me? And God says, let's just use what you already have. That'll work. So let me ask you here today, metaphorically speaking, this 4th of July weekend, what is that in your hand? What has God given to you? See, God wants to use it to make an impact for Jesus. And here's what I mean. For Moses, it was a staff. For you, it may be your car, your house, maybe your job, a position you hold, influence you have, money you have. It could be your personality, your gifting, your wiring. Could be a difficult circumstance you've had to walk through. Could be heartache that you went through. Whatever it is, God wants to use you and use it to show people the love of Jesus Christ. So that when they ask you why, you simply point back to Jesus and say, because of Jesus. See, you already have everything you need to make an impact for Jesus. The question for us today is this. Are you using it for God's purposes or for yours? I've entitled today's teaching, what is that in your hand? That's the question that God asked Moses. That's the question that he asks for you and I here today. And I wanna wrestle this down through a story that takes place on a hillside by a beach, which is a setting that a lot of us this summer are well aware of. In fact, some of you are watching this teaching right now online while sitting on a beach. And for those of you that are, Good for you, and uh, for the rest of us who are here who actually love Jesus, uh, we're going to continue, <laughs> I'm, ki- I'm kidding, so kidding, I shouldn't say that, you love Jesus, you're just loving Jesus on a beach, good for you, and man, we are glad that you're tuning how cool is it that you can be wherever you are, so connected to your church family, we're glad you're there online with us. We're going to be going to the book of John here today. And the author, John, who was a follower of Jesus, said that God gave us everything we needed and everything we could possibly want all at once because God gave us himself. Jesus showed up and died for you and I. And if that's not still overwhelming to you, then this teaching is for you. See, we have everything we need in Jesus, and everything else is just a tool that we get to use for him. And today's teaching is centered around one of the most popular, most, one of the most famous, one of the most well-known moments in all of scripture, the historical account in the Bible of the feeding of the 5,000. But before we jump in, let's take a moment before we open up the word of God and pray. Would you pray with me that we would pray that God would speak to us through this? So Father, we take your word, knowing that these are not dead pages in a book, that this is a living word, and you tell us that it will speak to us, that Holy Spirit, you would lead us inside of this. Father in heaven, we ask that you would reveal to us what you have put in our hands today to use to show people the love of Jesus. We acknowledge here this morning our need for you and are desperate for you to show up. I pray, Father, that my words be your words and that you, Holy Spirit, would lead us as a church here today, right here, right now. May your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen. John chapter six. Uh, carries the weight of this moment. We're going to be starting in verse 1, so you can begin to turn there in your worship center Bibles. That's page 1068, 1,068. Now, as you're turning there, let me get you caught up with what we're about to jump into. See, the feeding of the 5,000 was a miracle of such magnitude that it's recorded in all four Gospels. But John writes his gospel in a very unique way that's going to help us today. Here's what John does. Uh, He writes his gospel in, in this sequence of events. He talks about an event that takes place. And at this event, what happens is Jesus performs a miracle. The Bible might call it signs, that's what we'll read today, but Jesus performs a miracle. And that miracle is not a means to an end in itself. What that miracle exists for is to point as evidence to the identity of who Jesus is. This is how John writes his gospel. There's an event that has a miracle that is the evidence that points to the true identity of Jesus as God, as the Savior, as the Messiah that has come. And what we're going to see today through the story is this, of the feeding 5,000. And first of all, uh, whoever called it the feeding of 5,000 was shortchanging Jesus, right? Because back then they counted by households. So it would have been uh, 5,000 men. They're counting the households. So it's estimated anywhere from 15,000 to 20,000 people were in this crowd in this moment. Think of it. That was the average attendance of an Atlanta Hawks basketball game. I mean, that's how many people showed up to this event. But here's what we're going to learn. We're going to see... God's compassion. He's going to put it on display. We're going to see God's provision as he provides for his people and their needs. We're going to see God's power and how he shows up and makes food out of thin air. We're going to see Jesus is God, which is the main thing that John actually wants us to see. And so today, this story is also going to show us that we need to put what we have in our hands back into God's. So let's read together. John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. I'll read. Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. Now the words, sometime after this, tells us that there is something that has just taken place uh, before we were reading. And it's reminding us that it's coming out of that event. And what has just taken place is John the Baptist had just been beheaded close friend of Jesus, loves him, very close. And, and so we're coming right out of that and Jesus is in a place where he just wants to get away. Have you ever wanted to get away? That's where Jesus is. And he just wants to get away from everything and everyone so that he can go be by himself and mourn the loss of his friend. And so he gets the disciples together and they get in a boat in the south side of the Sea of Galilee and they travel up to the northernmost part of Sea of Galilee, get out of the boat in hope that they would be in a remote enough region that they could be left alone. But nevertheless, despite Jesus' best efforts, word gets out of where he is and a crowd begins to gather Verse two, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. And so the crowd's coming, they're looking for him. They've seen these signs, they've seen these miracles that Jesus has performed before. They're not quite sure who he is. They're just hoping that while he's in this region, they can get a glimpse of this man that people are starting to say might be the Messiah. And at the very least, they're hoping they might be able to get to see one of Jesus's miracles Performed before them. Verse three Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Now, John gives us this little bit of information right here to help us understand the season that this crowd in Jesus and the disciples are in. In the Passover was a celebration of what we just talked about earlier in the call of Moses. It was a celebration for the Jewish people of their independence. Quite quite honestly, it was their July 4th. They were celebrating their independence, their deliverance from the Egyptian nation. And so they're in this season remembering the deliverance that has taken place, but this one is bittersweet for them because right now they're occupied by the Romans. And so they need another deliverance and they're hoping that Jesus might be this Messiah that'll save them. Verse five. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Jesus immediately recognizes the need of the crowd. It's who he is. They've been walking for miles to come and see him, and now they're tired, and now they're hungry, and Jesus wants to solve this. But we have to realize that up to this point, nobody's been talking about food. Nobody's trying to solve this. So when Jesus brings this up to Philip, he is putting him on the spot. Philip doesn't have plans. He hasn't been thinking about this at all. In verse six, he asked this only to test him. Only to what? Test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. This absolutely irritates me. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Come on. Jesus already knows that nobody's gonna be able to feed a crowd of this magnitude. Jesus already knows that he alone is gonna to have to perform a miracle to make this happen. And yet, he turns to Philip and says, Hey, how are we gonna feed these people? As a test. Why does he ask that question? Because he wants to see how Philip will react. I'll say it again. Because he wants to see how Philip will react. And here's what Jesus knows. It's easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like one. Just a truth inside of our lives. It's easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like one. Let me share a story to illustrate what I mean. Cassie and I took the family a a, a few weeks ago to a Gwinnett-Stripers game and uh, just to have some fun, to attend it. My daughter was going with her softball team, so we figured, why not, let's go do it, let's go have some fun. And as we were getting ready at the house to leave, um, I, you need to know, I don't normally have cash on me. I don't know why, I just don't have cash on me. But for whatever reason, I had this thought come inside of my head as we were getting ready to go to this game, man, I should probably grab some cash. So I went and grabbed $50, uh, threw it in my pocket, didn't even think twice about it, got in the car, and, and sat down and started driving to the game with the family, excited to have a lot of fun. It was on the Mall of Georgia exit on 985. We're sitting there at the light waiting to take a left to go towards the stadium. And as we're sitting there, I see this man come walking by the side of the car on the side of the road. He was clearly a homeless man, and he was holding a sign that said something along the lines of, need help, please help, money, food, any, anything you can give. And what happened next in that moment is quite embarrassing for me. But for your amusement, I will share, really to make a teaching point, right when I saw the man, I had this thought inside of my head. I, I, I said it to myself, but kind of said it to God. I said, man, if I just, God, if I had some money, I'd give that guy some money. <laughs> and as soon as I said it, the $50 popped inside of my head. And I said, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And what I did is, that, is I turned and I looked at my wife who was sitting right next to me to see if she noticed the man as well, and she did. And so inside of my head, I'm going, I ain't giving this guy this 50 bucks. I mean, I started running through all the things I know he's gonna do with this money. And then while I'm running this through my head, God just whispers to me, Sean, I love him. And so what I do is I start, because my wife has noticed, I start looking around the car, moving things around like I'm look, looking for some money, like I don't have any. I like, oh my God, we don't have any money. And God just whispered to me, really? Really? Like, what happened to God if I just had some money? I'd give him some money. You got 50 bucks. And so in that moment, I reached into my pocket, rolled down my window, grabbed the money, called for the guy. He walked over. I handed it to him. I said, God bless you. (laughs) Rolled up the window And you know, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. There was nothing cheerful about that moment inside of my life. There just wasn't. Man, I was angry, angry at that moment. Man, I am cheap. I do not like giving things away. And so I just sat there holding the steering wheel, so mad. And I I found myself just saying out loud, it's all God's money. It's all God's money. It's all God's money, and as I'm saying this, my wife turns and looks at me, and she goes, yeah, I know, and I'm like, you don't understand. I'm trying to talk myself into this and what I just did to make it even worse. I mean, we start driving now, and as we're driving, my wife is smiling. She turns and looks at me, and she goes, doesn't it just feel so good to help people? (laughs) I'm like, yeah. feels awesome, babe. This is great. And just the icing on the cake, the icing on the cake is we pull up to the Gwinnett Striper's game. And when we pull up, there's a sign, $5 parking, cash only. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, God. I appreciate that. And literally, I'm sitting here, I'm going, are you kidding me? And I say it out loud, are you kidding me? I mean, I had 50 bucks. Now we don't have anything. How are we going to get in here and park? Now we got to go to a store. And I kid you not, you can go ask. My daughter in the back seat. goes, dad, I have $5. Don't clap for that. Come on. Listen, I have a lot of growing up to do in my life. How about you? Church, it is easy to act like a Christian. It is not as easy to react like one. How do you react when God presses in in your life and asks you to give something away? How do you react when God puts a calling on your life to go make a difference, to serve someone, to love someone you may hate the way they live, to love them anyways? How do you react? And it's easy to walk in on a Sunday like this to watch a teaching online and raise our hands and praise God and say, I love you, Jesus. But it's a lot different to go out and be the church out in the world and react in a way of love that Jesus Christ would want us to demonstrate. When somebody cuts you off in traffic, how do you react? (laughs) When somebody insults you, somebody persecutes you, when somebody puts you down, How do you react? See, it's easier to act like a Christian than it is to react like one. What we need to remember is that sometimes Jesus interrupts our lives to test us to see how we will react. And if you're anything like me, I hate interruptions. Is there anyone else that's with me, man? You just hate being interrupted in your life. You know why? Because we have an agenda. We have a plan. We have things we are doing that we are trying to get done in our life. And man, we just hate interruptions. And then the phone rings and there's a knock on the door. Or somebody texts you. Somebody asks you for five minutes and it's never five minutes, but somebody interrupts your life. And we hate interruptions so much so that we have a phone to help us stop them right think about your phone you can silence it you can send them to voicemail screen your calls you can turn off your notifications so they they can't even see if you've seen the text or the email or anything like that man we can stop interruptions from coming into our lives with our phone we do it every single day in fact so you this thing can actually protect you from being interrupted in a conversation you don't wanna have in the grocery store. Here's what I mean. Like, you can walk into the grocery store, see that neighbor, that acquaintance, whoever it is that does not have the gift of a short conversation, and when you see them, you can pull it out and pull it up and act like you're in a conversation. Oh, yeah, it's great, it's awesome. Oh, hey, how are you? Good to see you. I would talk, but yeah, okay, yeah. And, and walk on, right? Don't judge me, look at these eyes. Like, you've never done that before. Like, you're so holy. Come on. Right? Man, we hate interruptions. We use everything we have to stop the interruptions in our life. And and sometimes this is okay. This is good. When we want uninterrupted time with God, with our family, that's a good thing to put boundaries in place. But when the disposition of our heart and when the disposition of our life is always, I can't be interrupted, that is a problem. Because the greatest things that God does in our lives throughout Scripture is never when it's a human agenda, it's always when God has to interrupt somebody. See, God wants to interrupt our lives. That's when the greatest things happen. When we see God's glory, when we, God see, when we see God's Holy Spirit lead us and move in us and, and move mountains around our lives, it's when God interrupts our lives. Can you be interrupted? How do you react when God interrupts your life? When God asks you to do something, to give something, to love someone, to serve someone, spiritually speaking, It's our reactions that demonstrate our spiritual maturity. Jesus, in this story, is testing Philip. He's testing Philip. He wants to see how he's going to react. And as we continue to read through the story, we're going to see three reactions, three reactions. And as we read them, I wonder, which one are you most like? What is your reaction like when God interrupts your life. So let's continue to read verse seven. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite, right? It makes sense that Jesus would actually ask Philip because Philip lives about nine miles away from this remote area. He would know where the local Panera bread is, right? He would know. But there's no local Panera Bread on the corner. It ain't gonna happen. And even if there was McDonald's, if you ordered off the dollar menu, it would cost tens of thousands of dollars. It couldn't happen. And I love Philip's response. He says, are you kidding me? Feed these people. Whoever even talked about feeding these people, send them home. In fact, in Matthew's account of this story, it says the disciples came up to him and said, send them home, get them out of here. Nobody's gonna feed them. Let them go get some food. See, Philip gave the practical answer. We don't have enough money. But Philip's reaction didn't pass the test. And Philip's reaction was this. It was pride. See, Philip looked for a human solution in the presence of God. (sighs) Can't miss that. He turned to money when he should have turned to Jesus. See, you might call his reaction realism, practical, he just turned to the practical things that are around him but but that's what we're called to turn to see this moment is a great reminder that we will always be confronted with problems too big for us to solve being a follower of jesus will always put you in situations beyond your resources and beyond your ability so that we will have to turn to god who can do more in a moment than we can do in our entire lifetime Where in your life is there a problem that's happening around you? That in your pride, you're turning to the practical. You're turning to to realism, turning to what you can do to solve that problem when you have the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, right next to you the whole time. Philip is going to learn that no problem is a match for Jesus' power. But another disciple decides to give it a shot. Verse 8. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But, what's that word? But, how far will they go among so many? Oh, Andrew almost had it. He was so close, so close. He, He brings up this boy. He says, there's a boy with some loaves and some fish. But... It's sad how easily that word creeps into our thinking. See, Andrew's response, reaction, was pessimism. He said, listen, how far can that really go? It can't go that far. I mean, 15,000 people here. And I wonder, how many times has God put five loaves and two fish in our hands and we did nothing with it because we thought it couldn't do anything? I think as Christians, this is where we struggle the most having a pessimistic outlook at the problems and the things that we're called to do and the things that are around our lives. God invites us to have an impact for Jesus, to share the gospel with someone. And what happens is we fall into the if-then trap. If-then trap. Here's what happens. We say to ourselves, man, if I was just a little bit older, if I wasn't in middle school, if I wasn't in high school, if I was just a little bit older, I could have an impact for God. If I was just a little bit smarter, God could use me to teach someone how to read the Bible. If I was just a little bit more this or if I had a little bit more charismatic nature inside of my my, my personality, then I could go share the good news of Jesus Christ. And we played this if-then trap all the time. If I was just a little bit taller, I'd be better at basketball. has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it's still true. and we play this if-then game like this all the time in our practical lives and in our spiritual lives. And God is press, pressing in saying, listen, you're right, you can't do that. But in my presence, with my authority, with my glory, you can. But Andrew turns with pessimism and reacts to the moment and says, man, we have this, but uh, how far is that gonna go? Where in your life if you turn to God and you said, man, but I, I got this, but nah, it's not gonna go very far. I couldn't use that for much. And God can do anything, anything. The chair you're sitting in right now only exists because he spoke the matter in existence to make it. God can do anything. Let me remind you, God used a small stone in a small sling in a small boy's hand to slay a huge giant. I'm gonna read a few of these. God used a little child to teach his disciples. God used a small cross to conquer all sin. God used a small tomb to defeat the entirety of death. God loves using a little to do a lot. It's who he is. If you're feeling like you need a miracle for something to break loose or something to happen in your life, perhaps it's already in your hand. Perhaps it's already been entrusted to you. Yet like Andrew, perhaps you are saying, how is this really going to help. Andrew's pessimism kept him from turning and entrusting in Jesus in that moment. But where Philip and Andrew failed, the boy did not. A little boy who came forward, his reaction was a reaction of praise, of praise. Let's assume these disciples didn't strong arm this little boy and take his lunchable away, right? Let's just assume that he came up and and he heard the conversation that's going on and brought it up to Jesus. That in itself is a miracle, right? Getting kids to share anything. Their favorite word is mine. And they say it about everything, including what's yours. Uh, They're going to say that's mine. This is a miracle that this boy brought this up. This boy walks up to the disciples and Jesus and out of a reaction of praise, hands Jesus the five loaves and two fish and teaches us the lesson of this miracle. If you put what you have in your hands into God's hands, he can make a lot out of a little. This little boy teaches each and every one of us that when God blesses us, it's so that we can go bless someone else in the name of Jesus. Mark Batterson, a pastor of National Church in Washington, D.C., says it this way. I love it. He said, God doesn't bless us to raise our standard of living. He blesses us to raise our standard of giving. Where have you been blessed? That's where you're called to put that blessing and pay it forward. Where has God shown you favor? That's where you need to return the favor to someone else in the name of Jesus. Because what we don't give back in praise will always turn into pride inside of our lives. We'll think we earned it, we deserve it, and pride builds up. We have to give it back in praise and put it back in the hands of God. This one act of praise is the catalyst for one of Jesus' most amazing miracles. And for the record, I don't believe it's one miracle. I think it's 15,000 I think for every person that ate that food that day, that was a miracle. And look what happened. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, God takes five loaves and two fish and opens up a golden corral, all you can eat buffet. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. This boy's reaction of praise by putting what he had in his hands back into God's was the very thing that God used to have an impact for Jesus. 15,000 people for the first time saw Jesus for who he really was, the Messiah. Let me ask you, when God asks you, when he prompts you to put what you have in your hands back in his, to serve someone, to love someone, what is your reaction Let me ask you here today as we close, as we turn this service over to the campus pastors, here's the question for you, for us on this 4th of July weekend. What is that in your hand? You might be tempted to respond like Moses and say, just a staff, or just five loaves and two fish. And we might think, what good could that possibly do? But Jesus wants to show you today that when we put what little we have in our hands back into God's, He makes a lot out of a little. and the gospel of Jesus Christ moves forward. This Fourth of July weekend, you need to be reminded you already have everything you need to have an impact for Jesus. Come
1: on, let's give our praise together this morning. We live even. With every word I speak, with every step, with every heartbeat, oh Jesus, let it be for You, for You only, my whole life, all for You, glory. Let's sing it again and make it your prayer to Him. With every breath, with